Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, we are ending a series today called Once Upon a Marriage. And if you're here and you're like, well, I I wish I'd have known that's what you were teaching on before I got here. I get it. Um, But I do believe this, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you used to be married, whatever your story is. okay, relationships are something that we all have. And the truth is, is that the Bible has an enormous amount to say about relationships And the thing that often happens in our lives is that we don't do relationships the way that God tells us to, and all kinds of problems happen. Isn't that true? Come on. We know. Like, we know that that's true. And so my heart for us today is as we press into this subject matter, that we would open ourselves up to the possibility that God wants to speak to us. Maybe even, how about this, maybe even challenge us. Because I've found that in this particular subject, We need to be challenged because what I'm finding is our relationships are not always reflecting the character and nature of God in terms of how we treat one another. You know, like if you were if you like went back and rewound the week and, you know, you interacted with various people at various moments. Maybe that was a significant person in your life or maybe it was somebody at work. But but here's the thing. You rewind it and you ask this question. Did I treat that person the way Jesus would want me to treat them? Right now, I'm sure all of you did great. No problems at all. But the thing I've learned is that that's just not true, that, that all of us have things we need to grow into. All of us need to get better at loving people. All of us need to be better at serving people, becoming more humble and more of a servant to those that are around us rather than take, want, take, 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 take. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But I do want to share a couple of things that are just kind of freebies for you today. Um, the first is, is this past uh, week, my wife and I, uh, Gretchen, which I don't know if you've met her, but she's awesome. She's somewhere around here. Um, we were in Florida and we were at a gathering called the One Hope Celebration. And One Hope is an organization that we partner with. And so we, we give money and we, we partner with this organization that's reaching people all over the world, particularly teens and children. And, and it's just amazing to hear the stories coming out of what the, the work that they're doing. And, and, and one of the things I wanted to share with you that I just thought was amazing, okay? So what they've done is they've been able to quantify uh, that every dollar... Every dollar that's given uh, reaches three kids with the message of Jesus. So they've quantified that. Isn't that cool? Like every dollar, they know that it's going to get to three kids at least, right? So what they did at this particular gathering is they set a goal, a faith goal. And the faith goal was that they would reach 133 million kids this year with the gospel, right? That was their goal. And, 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 and what's so neat about this is that we had this whole faith promise thing happening. If you don't know what that is, it's where people say, I'm going to give a certain amount, right? And, and, and so they did that. And then at this little gathering right after, they calculated everything. And what they came up with, and again, this was just from the first initial offering, okay, that they had at that moment the ability to reach 122 million children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Now, that's pretty amazing. Now, again, that's at the beginning of the year. So clearly, they're going to be able to get to 133. They're going to actually probably exceed that. But what I thought was so cool is in that one offering, that represented over $40 million in one offering. Can you imagine? That's amazing. Like, the people of God are generously giving to, 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 to reach children and youth with the gospel all around the world. And I just tell you, I was so stoked by that whole experience that I had to come back and tell you about it. Because see, guys, as a church, we help support those kinds of endeavors. You know that, that, that the Bible app for kids? They help develop that. So on version, they have the Bible app for kids. You know, they partnered together. They help develop that. So the money that we give helps that. And it's amazing what technology can do in terms of helping kids see the gospel or hear the gospel for the first time, especially in environments that nobody has ever heard the gospel or that it's not even allowed. Think about that. Technology has the ability to do that now. Like we literally can cross over barriers and borders and preach the gospel to people and not even have to be there physically. Isn't that amazing? I tell you, I'm I'm stoked about it. I hope you are as well. I just thought I wanted to share that with you. And then at the end of the conference, we found out that Russia had invaded Iraq, uh, had invaded Ukraine. 
tough. That's the world we live in. And there are believers in Jesus Christ in the Ukraine. And there are believers in Jesus Christ in Russia. These are true things. And I just want to say to you as your pastor, we care about all of them. We are kingdom people. And so we love them and we love them. And I don't approve of this and that. I get it. But we love them. And we're going to do our best to support the people of God in the middle of these challenges. Because, see, God has an amazing ability to do something great out of tragedy. He just does. I mean, his best work is done in in that kind of stuff. And I guarantee you the underground church, the church in in, in Ukraine and the church in Russia are going to flourish because of these challenges. And our job as 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 a people of God is to put ourselves in a position to help them, fund them, resource them, because I guarantee you the gospel is going to go forth. It's going to happen because guess what? When people are desperate, what do they need? Jesus. Come on. So, all right, guys, that doesn't have anything to do with my message. That's that's just for free today. I just felt like it was on my heart to share with with you. uh, And I had to get to that before. But before I go to this message, I just want to pray specifically for what's going on. Would you would you just pray with me, Lord? Your word tells us that the human heart is wicked. And without you, we are a mess. While we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. And I know that there's lots of things happening right now in our world, particularly in Russia and the Ukraine, that aren't uh, that are not things that you would sanction. That men of power are acting in their flesh. And I just pray in Jesus' name for resolution. I pray for the protection of people. I pray specifically for the church that they would be emboldened, empowered, and resourced for the work that you have for them to do. God, we do pray for peace. But most of all, Lord, we pray that your will would be done and that lives would be changed through this difficult time. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers today and believe in faith right now that you're already on the ground and you're already moving in powerful ways and we can't wait to see what you're going to do. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so are you ready for a really challenging message? Let me ask that again. Are you ready for a really challenging message? And if you are, say yes. Yes. Okay, you asked for it. All right, so let's just be straight. I just want you to know you asked for it, so that's where we're going to go today because I know that all of you are ready for it. So let me ask you this. It's kind of a quick question. If you're married today, you know, if I was to ask you this question, you're at the altar. At any point, did you think, you know what? I know that I'm going to marry this person and I'm going to eventually divorce them. Like, you know, like you just were like, yes. Anybody? Anybody's like, yes, that's that's where we're headed. See, nobody does that, right? Nobody, nobody makes that kind of call. You know, nobody stands up and says, hey, I have a plan to commit adultery. Right? I'm going to get married, and my goal is to commit adultery. Now, listen, you guys asked for this, so just hold on. Nobody's doing that, right? Nobody is stepping up and saying, you know, I, I can't wait to get this I can't wait to commit adultery. I can't wait to, to have my marriage fall apart. I, nobody is doing that, right? Nobody is signing up for that kind of situation. No one plans, right? No one plans for those kinds of tragedies to happen. And yet, they do. Matter of fact, we know that they happen at about a 50% rate. Like, we know that. 50%, guys. We know that. We also know that the number's higher around adultery. Think about that for a second. Now, again, nobody's planning on it, but yet it seems to be happening. So I think it at least begs the question, why? Like, what's happening? 
What's going on? What's, what's the problem here? Because nobody wants to do it, and yet it's happening at that kind of rate. There has to be a problem. There has to be something going on that is insidious, that is affecting us as human beings, that leads us to this particular place. So I want to suggest to you something today that I think is important for us to look at as a church, as a society, as a culture, as a people, Because if we don't, I guess we'll continue getting the same results. And I know all of you, probably on some level, if you're new today, I may not know you, but I love you anyway, is that, listen, nobody is saying, that's how I want this to go. And if I said to you, do you want better? You'd say, absolutely. I want better. I want this to be better. And so I need to give this disclaimer. Because everybody in this room comes at it from different places. Some of you are married. Some of you are divorced. Some of you have been cheated on. You've been betrayed. Some of you are dealing with challenges that you... I mean, some of you are... You get it. Everybody is in a different place. And I just want to say to you, wherever you are today, there's no judgment here. Okay? This is, not a, this is a judgment-free zone. Uh, I'm just simply trying to point our attention to a higher value that I believe if we will give our attention to, will absolutely help us have better relationships, specifically in marriage relationships as the Bible defines it. So I, wanted, I just wanted to say that because I think this is so important because the data indicates that over 50% are probably going to experience this in their life and nobody is signing up for it. And so here's what I want to suggest to you today. Here's what, here, here it is. You ready? I think that society is doing a horrible job of preparing people for marriage, but they're doing a great job preparing us for divorce, preparing us for adultery. Now, I know that that's a challenging statement, but it seems to be the only logical conclusion that something is going on where we are being trained by the world around us and what we are being trained to do is eventually end up as one of the 50 percenters. So it begs the question, what is it that they're teaching us? What is it that that society is saying? Matter of fact, in our world today, I know some of you, you watch the news, you see, you look around and you and you sometimes go, huh, that's weird. They're really teaching that. Come on. They're really wait. They're teaching people that. See, we live in a world that isn't finding their facts, so to speak. They're not finding their true north here. They're finding it somewhere else. And so inevitably what's going to happen is that we're going to experience that rather than what God ultimately wants for us. And so we have to look at this very clearly because what I'm finding is that the way that the world defines it, particularly how we train up people for dating even. Like, you know, dating nowadays. Like you, you meet people and you... Get to know each other, right? You swipe this way or swipe that way, whatever it is. You know, back in the old days, you'd go to the bar and maybe the club and... (laughs) No, no, no. And you'd meet this person and they smell nice and you you smell nice and, and, and you get together and... Maybe profess your love for this individual after one night. Maybe even enter into that physically, right? And then, you know, you wake up and it's like, you know, this person really doesn't smell as good as I thought. I'm out. And so you take your toothbrush and you go. You see, see? And then that happens in a series in our life. And what's happening is we're training ourselves for divorce. We're training ourselves for adultery. Because what we are actually doing is training ourselves that when things get hard or we don't like it or we don't prefer it, we leave. You you told me that you wanted this. So, so my point is, is that we have to look at this situation because we are being trained something by something other than what the scripture would say. 
And so we've got to dig into this. And, and I, I can't think of a better way to do that than to look at two individuals in the Bible. Uh, you may have never even heard this story. And I'm going to share this story. And you're going to be like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. It's an intense, confusing, and yet beautiful story all at once. It's, it's, it's intense. And so there's this guy named Hosea. I don't know if you've ever heard of Hosea. Well, Hosea marries a woman named Gomer. Now, isn't that a great woman's name? I love that. If you're Gomer, I'm sorry. I wasn't making fun of your name. All right. I just, that's a unique name for a woman. Yes. Like there's another one in the New Testament, Dorcas. Isn't that bad? Yeah, Dorcas. But it's like uh, you, the translation, you can also call her Tabitha. So that's okay. You know, Tabitha. But Dorcas, really? You know. Anyway, I'm sorry if you're named Dorcas. I love you. I really do. <laughs> and so, so this story of Hosea and Gomer is a very powerful story, but it's a very nuanced and layered story that it takes a little while to unpack. And I won't be able to unpack this whole book, but I, I do want to draw a few things out of it that I think can be useful to us. Uh, but basically what was happening, it was about 700 years, a little over 700 years before Jesus showed up, Okay. And this particular prophet was speaking to what was called the northern kingdom of Israel. At a certain point, Israel divided into a northern and southern kingdom. And this particular prophet was speaking to the northern kingdom. And now what was going on in the northern kingdom is that they were experiencing a certain level of prosperity. And I just want to say this to you, Christians. Anytime we as a society experience high levels of prosperity... Usually what happens is morality goes down. Just, just so you know. So anytime, like in America, you know, in the 1980s, woo, making all kinds of money. But what else went up? Lots of bad stuff. Lots of stuff. So, so, so my point is, is that, that that's what's happening. And so Hosea is, is writing this book to that particular group of people, and God comes to him and says something that is just absolutely like the, the craziest thing I think anybody has probably ever said to another human being. Like he, he literally goes to him and says something that, that lays the groundwork for this entire book. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you. So this is in Hebrews, I mean, Hebrews, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Watch this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea. So God's speaking through Hosea. And this is what he's saying. Watch this. The Lord said to him, go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. Now, what does that mean? Well, that word adulterous wife or whatever, if you get really down to the Hebrew word there, okay, it really means like a promiscuous woman, okay? A promiscuous woman. Some translations may say harlot. Some, some translations may say prostitute, okay? But, but again, this is a woman that was apparently loose with her behavior, especially sexually, and there was some kind of money exchange or uh, services or food or, you know, because at this time, uh, a woman that didn't have a husband couldn't survive. And so she may have been doing things in order to eat. Does that make sense? So, so, so again, not a great situation. And yet God says to the prophet, I want you to go and marry this woman. Right? And not only that, he wants Hosea to marry her and take in some of these children of unfaithfulness. So apparently there are some children out there that have come as a byproduct of her lifestyle that God is now saying, you need to take them too. You getting it? So, so, so watch this. Because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. And I'll, I'll explain what's going on here. Verse 3, so he married Gomer, daughter of Deblam. Isn't that funny? Deblam. And she received and bore him a son. 
So she gets married to this prophet and she bore him a son as well. So there's these, these, these un, uh, children of unfaithfulness. There's this promiscuous woman. And then also there now is another child that's born to Hosea with this woman. Friends, that's a mess. That's, I mean, that's complicated. And yet God is the one that said, do it. Now, I don't know about you, but it has me interested. Like, God, why are you doing this? What's the point? What are you what are you trying to get at? You know, why is it that you're saying to this prophet to do that kind of thing? See, this is a marriage that had every reason to divorce. Think about that. This was a mess. This was a challenging situation. They had probably not done any premarital counseling with pastor to investigate their, their, their family of origin challenges that they might bring into the relationship, right? And so, so, so this is a difficult situation. And, and, and I think it's so important that we look at this particular relationship because I do think that we can gain some insight into our relationships today and how maybe, just maybe, we can divorce proof, maybe even adultery proof, our relationships so that we don't see those set, that same set of data. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I look at this story, it's kind of like, think about it in a modern way. So you're preacher me, right? So one day I feel like God tells me to, to, to go and marry a woman of the night, okay? And I, and, I, and I go and I do that. Can you imagine what you guys would be like? You'd be like, pastor's lost his mind. I mean, come on. This is a prophet of God. So, so he's been asked to do something that would not have been like, yeah, good job. His reputation is at stake. His ministry is at stake. All of what he's worked for is at stake. And somehow God calls him into this. He, he does it. And now he's in this relationship with this woman that seems to have some issues. And it creates problems. And it creates problems throughout the rest of the book. Because eventually what happens is she leaves. And so we'll get to that in just a second. And so it's so important that you see this because here are the layers of this book. Stay with me. There's the layer of Hosea and Gomer. So it's right on the surface. They got married. You see it right there. Kids, whole thing. But then there's also this layer of God and the immoral behavior of Israel then there's another layer of where it's God and his relationship with all of us. Does that make sense? All three of those things are happening in this story all at once. That's why it's such a cool story. It's, it's complex. It's challenging. And man, it is right in our face because it addresses some things that we all know about. And it does so in a very, very, very straightforward way. That's why I asked you, are you ready to be challenged today? Because this book is a very challenging book. But here's the thing that I think we need to see is that in this dynamic, Gomer believes a lie. And this is the lie that she believes. And this is the lie that people believe that eventually trade in 30 years or trade in 10 years, or 20 years, or 18 years, okay? This is the lie that they eventually believe, and that's this. What I'm missing is better than what I have. Come on. What I'm missing is better than what I have. And so what happens in this situation, she's like, you know, this Hosea guy, he's a good dude. He provides for me. I mean, he's pretty squeaky clean. He's a prophet. I mean, come on, that's pretty good stuff. So in other words, she's in a much better situation with the prophet than she was when she was potentially in a brothel. And so, but somewhere in this, her mentality, her behaviors, how she's lived, all the stuff gets in the way of that. And she eventually leaves Hosea, to return to her old lifestyle and begins to do what she was doing before and more children come as a result of it. That's the story. Messed up, right? Challenging situation. But she was believing that somehow on the other side of this, on that side of the mountain, that, that green grass over there, right? That somehow that was better 
than what she currently had. And this is the thing that I see so often is that that's what we believe. And then we make decisions that take us down a path. And in the end, friends, we lose. We lose. We think we're going to win, but we lose big time. Because see, this is what she said. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food, my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, and my drink. So she's saying that these lovers of mine are going to provide for me, even though Hosea, I'm pretty sure, was doing that already. And yet she's believed a lie that somehow if she goes in this direction, it actually will be better for her. And so here's the principle, is what happens is that we often, in this particular situation, we trade in our 80 for the 20. Does that make sense? Now, we think that we're trading it in for something greater than the 80, but you're not. You're trading it in for the 20. And you don't always see it, but that's what's actually happening. The relationship that you have, that you've established, that you've said before God, and all those things is your 80. The problem is, is that we don't always see it that way. And we begin to believe that the grass is greener somewhere else. And I just want to say to you, before you start to believe that the grass is greener somewhere else, maybe you should just go ahead and water your own yard. I told you. See, this is the kind of stuff that we need to hear. Because the society around us is telling us something completely different. See, when things get hard, you know what society tells us? Be happy. Leave. Do, I mean, hey, you, it's about you. you. You do you. And see, what happens is when we get into that habit, in maybe in pre-marriage, in dating, we get into habits that are outside of God's plan, those habits revisit themselves later and we trade in the 80 for the 20. And we lose. We lose maybe 20 years of marriage. We, we lose the integrity of ourselves. We lose uh, maybe the respect of our children. We lose. And we do it for 20. And we think we're getting 80. See what I'm getting at? See, this is what the enemy wants us to believe. The enemy wants you to believe that something on the other side is better and I'm just telling you, friends, it's not. Like, is it, oh, you know, this new girl or this new guy, we just have such a great time together. You know, he, he or she, they, they watch sports with me. They, uh, she loves to play golf. We, we, we go here and, oh, we love the same old movies. And, and you know, we even enjoy uh, a little forbidden pleasure. And here's the thing, you can't have forbidden pleasure with your spouse because it's not forbidden. Does that make sense? And so you go looking for something that's forbidden in order to spice it up, I guess. And we see how this is such a challenging, horrible situation because in the end we lose everything in the process. And this is the thing that we see about God is that when, when Gomer starts to cheat, there's this movement in this, in this particular passage of Scripture all throughout the book where you start to see how it hurts God's heart. Like, that's what's crazy about this book. It's not just about Hosea. It's about the fact that in the middle of all of this, this book is actually communicating to us how our behavior hurts the heart of God. That he literally is writing this book and speaking through this prophet to help us to see that the behaviors that we're doing are painful to him. Now, I know that's hard to hear because you're like, I don't want I don't want to upset God. I don't want to hurt God's heart. I get it. None of us like sign up for that. But when we do things outside of his plan, that's the kind of stuff that happens. And it's rare in the scripture that you get this kind of look at God's heart. Like, God doesn't always reveal himself in this way, where he tells us how it hurts him. Watch this. And so, so, because I think it's so important that we see this. There are two responses that God has in this particular book that we need to see. And the first is this, that he has a righteous anger towards these kinds of behaviors. 
Watch this. I'll, I'll read it to you. And, and, and before I do, there's a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Friends, most of the time, human beings are functioning in unrighteous anger. So if you're like, well, this is righteous, let's investigate. Because what I found is a lot of times in human beings, we have a hard time differentiating between the two. But in this particular matter, God can't be unrighteous. And so his anger is there for a reason. And so it's a righteous anger, and it leads him to express himself and even the heart behind what he's saying to all of us. Watch this. And this is in Hosea chapter 2, 8 through 10. Watch this. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain. Who's her? It's the people of Israel. So, so he's saying, okay, you've not only ignored the fact that I gave you the grain, the new wine and the oil, who, who lavished on her silver and gold. In other words, I prospered you and you didn't even, you're not even willing to acknowledge it. Therefore, he says this, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen and what's intended to cover your nakedness or her nakedness, verse 10, So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. And then watch this. This is kind of interesting. No one will take her out of my hands. Do you see what's happening there? So God is expressing himself and he's like, you know what? Because you didn't see it, because you didn't acknowledge it, I'm taking it back. Like he's he's, he's, he's expressing that. And at the same time, he's also expressing what the Bible describes as jealousy. Now, this is not jealousy in the way that we understand jealousy, okay? God doesn't have the ability to function like we do. It's a jealousy that says, I will not compete with anything or anyone for my glory. And so when God says these things, he's being very clear in saying, look, I'm not going to do this. If you guys want to define the relationship this way, I'm not interested, in having a relationship with you where I'm now shared with the world. Do you, do you see it? And so that's what's happening. So you got Hosea and Gomer, and then you now you have God in the mix, and there's these layers, and now he's talking to us. And now he's trying to get deep into our hearts because, see, God will not compete. He will not settle for other gods or other things that you think or other idolatries that you pursue. And here's what he's saying is, give me your heart Give me your heart. I want it all. I don't want half of it. I don't want a little bit of it. I want it all. And then he says this. In essence, fine. Do it your way. Right? That's that's what he's saying. It's fine. Oh, it's working so well for you. Then you go ahead and follow that path. It's like the parent, right? Like the kid. It's like, Dad, I know it's going to be awesome. And and at some point, you're like, son, it's not going to be awesome. And they're like, Dad, it's going to be awesome. And then they don't listen, right? And finally, you might have to say, fine. You got to travel that journey. But I can tell you, (laughs) at some point, I'm coming back around. And I'm going to say, I told you so. (laughs) No, you guys wouldn't do that. Should have listened to me, kid. But see that God's having this kind of interaction, right? He's like, wait a second. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, no one will take her out of my hands. So he says all of that. Like, I'm going to take it back. I'm taking this. I'm taking my stuff, right? I'm taking my toothbrush, and I'm leaving. But then he says, and this is where it gets good. He says, no one will take her. So do you see what happened there? He's like rejecting them and Pulling them close all at the same time. That is a common occurrence in the scriptures where someone expresses their emotions. You see it all the time in Psalms where someone will express their emotions and at the end of the Psalm, they bring it back together with the hope. And later in the book, and I'll show you, God starts to say some other things. But it's so important that we see that God was struggling with this. And in addition to that, not only was he struggling with with, with where he was experiencing this righteous anger, he was also experiencing this unfailing love for the people. That's when he says, you will not strip these people from my hands because these are my covenant people. I love these people. I love Israel. He still loves Israel today. It's so important you see this. That is a part of his covenant. 
And in addition, because of Jesus, he now has all of us. And he wants a relationship with all of us. And that Israel was the first And they were blessed to be a blessing. And it's through them that we now are blessed with a relationship to God. See, that's how God's plan was. It was a redemptive plan that he started from the very beginning because he loved us. And then watch what he says here in Hosea 2, 14 through 15. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. (laughs) It's just beautiful language where God is, is expressing himself. And he says this, I will lead her into the desert. Why would he lead her into the desert? Because it's in the desert that we have to be dependent. So he leads her into the desert so that she has to depend on him. And then what does it say? He took her out there behind the woodshed and beat her. That's actually not what he says. You know what he says? He says, and speak tenderly to her. He loves you. He loves Israel. He loves Gomer. And so he he leads him out into the desert to speak tenderly. And then watch this. There there I will give her back her vineyards. And will make, watch this, the valley of Achor. Say, valley of Achor. Watch this. A door of hope. Now, what I want you to do, if you have your Bibles, you can circle this or you can write it down. But you circle that word acor. You know what that word means? Trouble. In other words, it's through the valley of trouble that we discover the door of hope. Does that make sense? Some of the best marriages I've ever seen are the ones that have been through it. Some of the best marriages I've ever seen are the ones that have went through a betrayal, even an adultery. And they've come out on the other side of that trouble. Because they've experienced now the trouble, but God promises, listen to me, God promises on the other side of that trouble is a door of hope. And what I found in our culture is our relationships are so disposable. Yes? I see it in the church all the time. Pastor, I love you. You're the greatest. You're so funny. And then I say something and you leave and you never even have a conversation with me. Our relationships are so disposable. 50% of people are getting divorced. Toothbrushes are leaving the counter and walking out the door. Hearts are broken. And we do it to ourselves. We never engage at a deep level. And you know what happens? Society is affected. Community is affected. Relationships are affected. And look, this isn't to bring you down. It's just to simply pull back the layers and say, guys, we've got to do something different. We've got to do something different. If we ever want to experience relationships at that level, we have to honor those relationships. We have to treat them in a certain way. We can't keep doing it the way that we've been doing it. You understand? And what I love about this story is that when we go through the valley of Achor, there's a door of hope on the other side of it, friends. Oh, that's such good news. Because some of you are going through it right now. You are in deep trouble in your relationships. You're having challenges that you never thought you would have. And I just want to say to you, please don't take your toothbrush. Please don't leave. Stand up and say, not today, Satan. You will not take this woman or this man out of my hands. Because... We can't continue to treat relationships so disposably. (laughs) We have to be better. We have to function different. And here's the thing. You want to have a great marriage? There's two ways to do it. First is just be perfect. (laughs) Like do it right all the time. Anybody got that? Yeah, just do it right all the time. You're going to have a great marriage. You'll be fine. Well, we all know that doesn't work very well. And here's the other thing I know that will help you have a great marriage. It's walk through the valley of Achor. When you walk through the valley of Achor and you experience trouble, you get better. You learn how to communicate. You learn how to, to work through challenges. Gretchen and I, and like some people are like, yeah, I know, Pastor, you and Gretchen, you, you're just like perfect and you're a Jesus lover and she loves Jesus. You got the greatest marriage ever. And it's probably just, a, you know, happy fields of food all the time. <laughs> you may not be thinking that, but... Gretchen and I have all kinds of challenges. 
We've been married 20 years. And we've got three kids. I mean, you had three kids. Look, friends, that's challenges. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you know this, but sanctification is God developing you to be more like Jesus. Marriage and kids will help do that. Because it rips selfishness out of your life. It intentionally does that, and that's why God created it. So that you'll be more like Jesus. See, see what I'm getting at? See, the, 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 it's not easy. You could come to my house on a Sunday after church, and we're eating, and I guarantee you there's something that's going to go down. And you're like, wow, that's, he's a pastor? Because, <laughs> see, we all have the challenges. None of us are perfect. And so, so my point is, is that, that, that we have to walk through these challenges and be willing to stick in the middle of betrayal. And I'm not saying that, that, that somehow there, that there's, uh, this is what I am saying. I believe God can redeem anything. Anything. If you have two people that are willing to do it. However, I also know that sometimes people can't get past certain things. And inevitably, it leads to the breaking of the relationship. Because you can't have it where there's not two people. It's not going to work. You, you can forgive, but you can't reconcile. Because reconciliation takes two people. And so my point is, is that, that, that I know that this is challenging. But I also know that there's a better way. And this is a tough message, but you guys asked for it. And then God says to Hosea, He tells him to do something, guys. So this woman, Gomer, stick with me. She leaves him and she goes back to doing what she was doing. And in the process of doing that, she has multiple children. She's in this bad situation. It appears that from the story, not only has she went back into it, that at some point she's become indebted and potentially is in some kind of slavery. That's her story. That's where she's at. And you know what God does? Oh, friends, I'm about to share with you something that absolutely can change your life. I mean, it will change your life if you grab hold of this. Because what God says to Hosea is you go get her. (laughs) Excuse me? Why would I do that? She left me. And she is making a mess of things. Why in the world would I do that, God? See, God has a plan. And he has a purpose. And his plan and purpose is usually over ours. Right? Like, we have our plans. We think we know. But God has a plan. And our job is to trade in our plan for his plan. But what he says to Hosea is you need to go after her. And then watch this. You need to forgive and love as you've been forgiven and loved. Oh, are you kidding me? So now I'm supposed to go back and redeem this woman out of slavery, the mess that she's made, and somehow in the middle of that activity, I'm now supposed to forgive her and love her the way you do? You with me? The way you do. The the way that you love us. See what's happening in the book? That God is expressing his emotions and he's saying, look, this is what you need to see. That this is a a story that's real, but it's pointing to something greater. And it's pointing to something that we all can see. And that is that God loves us and he loves us so much that in the middle of our horrible choices, in the middle of us trading in everything for the 20%, come on, that he still shows up. And he still comes after us. And he still comes at us with forgiveness and love, friends. That is the God that we serve. And that is what he's calling Hosea to do. And that is what he's doing. And that is what he's calling me to do and you to do. And when we do that, guess what? We have great relationships. We still go through the valley of Achor. But on the other side of that, there's a door of hope. Oh, isn't this good? Oh, it's so good. And I just, I, just, I just love what God says. Listen to this. I'm almost done. Hosea 3.1. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. No. She's already betrayed me. She's already broken my heart. I've taken care of her nasty little children. And now you're asking me to go do this. 
And he says, you go love your wife again. Though she, look at this, though she lo- she's loved by another and is an adulteress. And then he says this, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods, though they keep screwing it up, he says, you love her the same way that I love you. You love her the same way that I've always loved you. Do you see how this starts to shift to a place of, wow, if I did that, anything's possible. Anything's possible. And I just say this, and this is the part of it that really should pierce our hearts. With a God that does that, how could we not offer our lives to him? How could we not be compelled to love people the way he loves people? This is the God that reached into our mess, your mess, my mess, and pulls you out of that pit and says, look, don't you get self-righteous, kid. Don't you look down at people. Don't you judge other people with that pharisaical judgment. You recognize that you are in that same pit in need of a savior. And if you'll stay close to that, man, you're going to love people well. You're going to love your spouse well. You're going to love your friends well. You're going to do what God has called you to do when you love people and forgive people the way that God has done that for you. And oh, it's going to be glorious. Because see, you know what Hosea does? He redeemed her. You know what Jesus does? He redeems us. Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Now, he doesn't say get cleaned up and then I'll take you in. He says, while you're in the sin, I'm dying for you because I love you. I'm reaching into your problem and I'm doing this because I love you. Then watch this in verse 12. It's so beautiful. Verse 12 of chapter 10. So for yourselves, righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. What is he saying? He's turning it all and saying, start now to plow up that ground. Some of you, your heart is absolutely shattered. It's hard. The soil of your heart and your life is hard. But God wants to soften that ground because he wants to plant some new seed. And I just want to say to you, God does not want you to live miserably for the rest of your days. Matter of fact, he doesn't want you to live in the valley of Achor all of your days. Friends, the valley of Achor is a way through. It is not a place to set up camp. Because on the other side of that is a, is a door of hope. Come on. Come on. And so that's what God is calling us to. And so I, my heart and prayer for you today, if you get anything from this, is that God loves you with an unfailing love. And he demonstrates it to us in this book. And he says, if you want it, it's yours. And my heart for you today as your pastor is that you would accept it and you grab hold of it. And you would hang on with everything you've got. Because I believe he can redeem your situation. He can bless your marriage. Even if you've gone through betrayal and divorce, he still can do a work in your life that will lead you through trouble into a door of hope. Because that's the kind of stuff our God does. You are, if you're not dead, you're not done. So, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. I thank you for how, it, how you show your love for us, how, how, how you help us to know who we are, our identity. God, it's so good. You know, I know that there are some in this room that your heart is broken. Maybe the soil is tough. Maybe things are difficult. You're in the valley of Acor right now. I want to pray for you. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for anybody in this room that would say that they're in the valley of Acor right now. They're in trouble. I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that you would come into that situation. 
I realize that it may be a journey, but I know that they don't have to do it without you. And so, Father, I pray for your presence to be in that valley with them right now. That they would sense your presence, that they would understand that you're with them, that, that f- the fullness of God's glory would be revealed to them. They would be filled with your Holy Spirit for what you have called them to. Jesus, would you come? That you might guide them out of the valley and into this doorway of hope. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you a very simple question. Do you know that Jesus that I described? The Jesus that was willing to reach into your world and save people? He wants to do that for you today. The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth that he is who he says he is, that he's Savior and Lord, that he will reach for your hand. And as he's reaching for your hand, he's also connecting it to the Father. (laughs) He loves you that much. The Bible says that he was willing to give his life for you. That as he died that brutal death three days later, he came out of that grave. And when he came out of the grave, friends, he came out beating sin and he came out beating death and restoring potentially your relationship with God. And you can choose that today. And so I'd love for you to do that. I'd love for you to reach for Jesus today. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you to do something. I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to experience the power of Jesus. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is on the count of three, I'm going to invite you to just simply raise your hand as a statement of faith. But this is me. I, I need this. I want this in my life. I need this. And so right now on the count of three, if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand up so I can see it. No one's looking around. I just want to see it. Pray for you. On the count of three, one, two, three. Go ahead. Just step into that relationship today. God bless you. Good, good, good. Anybody else? I see some hands going up. Anybody else? Don't wait. This is your day. God never promised another. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you can put your hands down. Church, let's all pray together. I don't want anybody to pray alone in here. And so if this is your heart's desire, there's nothing magical about this prayer. All I ask is that you'd mean it sincerely. And so just simply pray these words, church. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? I surrender my life to you. Will you be my Lord? Change me from the inside out. Fill me with your spirit. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just celebrate anybody that's making decisions?